Welcome to the Eastern Current Saltwater Fishing Podcast presented by Outdoors by Owner. OBO helps the outdoorsman find the perfect home to rent for their next outdoor pursuit. Whether you're looking for a house right on the shallow water flats of Florida Bay with world-class sight fishing right out your back door, or you want to find a weekend mountain getaway for you and your family, OBO has the house for you. To check out all their incredible properties, visit go-obo.com. On today's podcast, Captain Mike and Captain Judd discuss North Carolina's flounder season and how to stay in the fish even when the pressure is high. Hope y'all enjoy. I've teamed up with Florida Fishing Products to outfit my guide service with their spinning reels, braided line, and fluorocarbon leader, and I'm looking forward to giving you some real-world feedback on their gear. I've been enjoying their Osprey CE for all my light tackle, redfish, and speckled trout, and Resolute for my beefier setups for Big Reds, Cobia, Tarpon, and Jacks. I'm looking forward to helping further their mission to equip anglers to fish better, which couldn't align closer with our values here at Eastern Current. Be sure to check out their website, floridafishingproducts.com, or ask about them at your local tackle shop. Temple Fork Outfitters is the rod of choice for all of us here at Eastern Current. Whether we're fly fishing for shallow water redfish, sight casting to cobia from a tower, or dropping live pinfish to grouper in 100 feet of water, they have the rod for the job. Their customer service is unmatched by any rod company out there, and their rods can take the beating of everyday guide use without any issues. My favorite rod for redfish and speckled trout is their 7-foot medium-light tactical inshore spin rod. Be sure to check out their website, tforods.com. Mike, what is going on? Doing another podcast today. Excited to chat. We've got a, uh, just like last time that I recorded quite a few podcasts, a nasty day of weather. We've got a tropical storm sitting right off the beach. We're about, what, a weekend to flounder season right now? Well, tomorrow will be a weekend. Tomorrow will be a weekend. So we're going to talk about flounder fishing. We're going to talk about fishing pre and post tropical storm slash hurricane this time of year. Um, kind of some, some stuff that you can look for and do and avoid and, and just some techniques that, that work for us. Uh, and we're excited to talk about it. So uh, we're gonna we're gonna get going here. Uh, first off, I want to just ask Mike about a little quick snippet of his trip to Montana. He just got back from Montana. I just got back from Montana, but separate trips. So how was how was your trip? How was the fishing? Uh, fishing was pretty good. It was it was a little slow to get started. Got out there. This has been a weird year of weather weather for us and for them out there. So um, let's see. I went out about four years ago, end of July and middle of July and hit the end of salmon fly season, the beginning of hopper season. Everybody talks about how good the hoppers get at the end of August, beginning of September. And I was like, oh, sweet. And that's, I'm going to wait for my next trip to go then. And um, it's been really wet for them. Uh, we had thunderstorms every single day. It got rained on every day except for maybe the third day I was out there. So, um, but yeah, no, green grass still. Wind was kind of blowing, but it was cool. The, the hoppers really hadn't moved down to the river, so um, not a lot of fish, like, looking up, per se, and all, but no, the, it, it was good. We, we covered a lot of water, went to a bunch of different places, fished the Madison for three days, four days, actually. Went over to another little small creek. I wanted to wipe, uh, I needed a white fish. I needed an actual cutthroat to uh, knock that off my list, and I've got all five of them. Did you get a grayling? I didn't get a grayling this trip, but I have had grayling in the past. So oh, gotcha. okay. I've got all five species now from out there. Um, Did you get the right. pike minnow? Have you caught a pike minnow? No. You got another one to go get? <laughs> <laughs> I caught my first pike minnow this past week. Actually, I think I'd caught those before, but have you caught bull trout? 
Not bull trout. Are you still got some more? You got to get uh, back yeah. out there. Uh, just for the Madison River Valley. That gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. I, I've got all five species that are there, but no, the last day was was pretty good. We had a really good blue-winged olive hatch, and they were feeding on size like 20 emergers. So we were throwing a parachute atoms in front. There were some mayflies coming off and then had a little dry, double dry action going on with the little emerger behind it. And I... Let's see. I think I landed five fish that day. None of them smaller than 15. My biggest was 20, but I broke two fish off, straightened the hook on one, and missed probably 20 fish. Dang. I, it just, I got so excited. It was happening. Fish were rising everywhere, and this is a different game. Hadn't done it in so long. Oh, so, yeah. yeah, I would see if I, I saw some fish rise to my fly that. Would have probably been personal best, and I sent my fly to the moon. <laughs> <laughs> I know how so. that goes. Um, well, sweet, dude. Well, that, that's awesome that, that y'all had a good trip. We were out there as well. I hosted a little trip, um, did some fishing up on the Clark Fork, stayed in Missoula, then we drove all the way across the state, pretty much from the Idaho border to the freaking uh, North Dakota border, South Dakota border, to East Montana, and bird hunted for a few days, stayed at my buddy's um, tent camp and did some bird hunting behind their English pointers and had an awesome time. It was really, really fun. Saw the Northern Lights second to last night. They were nuts. And, so uh, jealous on it, that. It was sweet. It I was missed really... it by like a week of getting to see it. Beth and Jesse could see it at their house. Could they see it at their house? Yeah. yeah. It wasn't long. It was like 10 minutes, 10 minutes of activity, and that was it. But it was really cool. So it was the best I've seen it. Um, best I've seen it in the lower 48. I saw it up in Alaska a couple times. And the best I ever saw was actually from the plane when I was leaving Alaska, flying back to North Carolina after a guide season up there. I like fell asleep and woke up to everyone freaking out and looking out the windows and it scared the mess <laughs> out of me. And I looked out the windows and we were like, it was like we were flying through the Northern Lights. It was crazy. Oh. It, was, it was so cool. Um, That's awesome. But yeah, so let's talk about, so flounder season came in. I was out of town, but you fished opener. Tell, talk to me about boat pressure from like two days before opener to opener day. So, boat pressure two days before, even the day before season come in, you know, normal to no boats during the week. Um, I think season came in on a Friday, actually. And so, it was the first Saturday of season that was crazy. Yeah. So, that Friday came in. It was definitely more people than normal for a Friday, but, you know, it, it, it's kind of local summer is what we like to call it around here now. Everybody from our the main part of the vacation season's kind of gone, so everybody right. enjoys their their Friday afternoons if they can get off work and get on the water. But um, Saturday, Saturday just turned out being insane. Um, I know I talked to a buddy of mine. He fished a tournament on that Saturday, and just a very small, like, from one inlet to two inlets north of there, they had a uh, 200. I think you can even say the inlets. I don't think it's going to matter, but it, it'll blow people's minds if they know what we're talking about. So from, I think it was from Mason's Inlet to South Topsail Inlet or just north of South Topsail Inlet. I'm, they might have been able to go up to the Surf City Bridge, but still, that's not that much extra 10 miles? Water. Yeah. If that, not even. Yeah. And Five miles. We were talking 203 boats were into that tournament. Golly. So and it, they were allowed to fish out in the ocean. Gotcha. But they could only all, fish that little window, so I guess it was just like a like a Pender County tournament. Yeah. Like you had to fish Pender County, essentially. Just about it. So, But, yeah, no, 203 boats. The water was pretty rough out off the beach. 
So everybody um, was inside. So most of, yeah, I think probably 95% of people were, were inshore fishing. Um, I fished a different area than that that day on Saturday, and I'd fished the same area the two days before, and I'd seen maybe four boats between the two days the day before, or the, the two days before. And um, on that Saturday, at some point, so I was sitting where I could see six other boats within, you know, four or 500 yards of me. So boat pressure was insane this week, this past weekend. Um, talked to some other guys. They fished some Southport flounder tournaments, Oak Island flounder tournaments. So the river was absolutely packed, boats everywhere down there. But it seems like it's starting to die off a little bit. I'm sure there's still going to be some people out and about doing it. But, you know, it's kind of like the opening of anything, trout season. has worn off. Yeah. You know, opening of turkey season. Opener is always crazy, and then after the first, like, three or four days, it's kind of everybody loses their pizzazz over it. And, yeah, for sure. You know, it starts to chill out, so. But, um, I will say that, <laughs> <laughs> so we've, I fished yesterday. Me and Judd both actually fished yesterday, which I don't know how you did on your, uh, what your flounder sizes were, but I know for us. Seems like a lot of the ones that are near that, you know, that eight, a lot of them have been stabbed, probably. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say it seemed like yesterday we had we had six flounder, and four of them were undersized, and then we had one that was just over. It was like fifteen and a quarter, and caught him in a random spot. And the other one was almost twenty, and again, kind of in a random spot off of the beaten path per se. Yeah. Um. So yeah, you know that just to me it it, it kind of shows like the places that I expected to catch a few. I didn't pick up or picked up very small ones. Um, so I can tell the pressure has definitely already picked those fish up and removed them out of our system. Yeah, and I feel like that's a good point right now. Like if you're going to go out and flounder fish and you're going to fish some main areas, fish deeper. The shallower fish are probably gone. Yep. Not that fish won't slide up shallow, but if you've got some deeper stuff to fish where the, the gig lights can't cover, like any of those main edge along the waterway or like the bigger main creeks, um, any of that shallow stuff right now, it's going to be getting gigged every single night. So, um, you know, get way back in the creeks, fish some of the deeper stuff, fish where, you know, fish can have some deep water access. If you're fishing really, really shallow around, you know, commonly treaded areas by anglers and giggers, you're probably not going to have much success this far into the season. Um, and you know, it's not like all the flounder are getting killed. It's just a matter of like all the flounder that are in this system that are doing, you know, specific things this time of year get taken out pretty quickly. So yeah, that, that I would say, you know, try to think outside the box now that we're a weekend, like don't go to all the, all the really common areas, try some different stuff. Good, good time to learn some stuff too. Yeah. I, I was going to say, especially if you're fishing out of a bay boat or something that's a little bigger of a of a vessel and you can't get to certain areas at, you know, different tides, don't be afraid to get out and do a little walking and exploring. Um, a buddy of mine, that's, that's what he does. You know, he's got a bigger boat. He goes to the sandbar with his wife and the dog and lets them run around. And he goes and ventures back and forth in places that he can't get to normally. And a lot of boats can't get to at certain tides. And, you know, he has a lot of success doing that. Those fish definitely get, they move around a lot during these tide swings. So, you know, if you can access areas at lower tides and be able to find where they're kind of dropping off into versus the higher tides, that's definitely going to give you a little bit of extra um, ability to catch them. For sure. Yeah, it's uh, 
getting off the beaten path is definitely key. Same with uh, within the ocean. You know, yep. the the Liberty Ship and your common stuff like Johns Creek and Yo all those Pond. areas, Yopon, they're, they're getting absolutely pounded on calm days. So going and finding and fishing your little secret ledge or your little area that, that uh, might be a lot smaller, I mean, all you need is one fish. So it's not like, and if yeah. you're fishing with a couple guys, you know, tops is probably going to be five fish. You can pull that off a very small piece of structure in the ocean. So um, it's a good time of year with, you know, being some albies around, some Spanish around, taking your time and, you know, looking at your depth finder as you're moving around and keeping your eyes on the surface as well. Because, like you said, it doesn't take. I've noticed this in the last few years of fishing out there is it does not take much relief to hold a flounder. Right. For sure. You know, sea bass, redfish, all that other stuff. They want that higher relief or whatever. But for a flounder, it can be something as simple as a rock or a one foot ledge or a little grassy patch pulled up and get on it. Boom. Flounder Definitely. or two. Definitely. So. Yeah. It's, it, it is, it's crazy what they'll hold on. I mean, yep. it, it can, and in the ocean, some, a lot of times the smaller, relief is better it keeps the bait fish closer to the bottom and makes it easier for a flounder to eat it so you don't need big gnarly structure not that you won't catch it on on big you know big relief and whatnot but little stuff will definitely hold fish yeah um it's so much it can be so much like grouper fishing too when you're on ledges just like moving in, in like five to ten feet foot increments down the ledge and just dropping right there dropping on top of the ledge dropping on the bottom side of the ledge dragging it along a little bit and that's the cool thing about side scan too is like if you can if you can get a little a little one foot ledge like that and run down it and just drop pins all the way down it, you can go sit right on top of it and know where you're good to cast and and know you're dragging that Carolina rig like right down the edge or that 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 bucktail jig right down the edge of that yep. ledge and you can really cover it well. If I'm fishing a jig, you can bet it's going to be an I Strike Texas Eye. Dave and Ralph at I Strike have built the most versatile and durable lineup of jigs in the saltwater industry. Whether you need a finesse presentation on spooky wintertime redfish or you need to hop a big swim bait on deep water structure for cobia and bull redfish, iStrike has the jig for you. Be sure to check out their website and use code EC10 for up to 40% off all iStrike products and 10% off all Z-Man products. The code can only be used at iStrikeFishing.com and you can find the code and the link to their website in the podcast show notes. There is no stealthier platform to fish the shallow water flats, creeks, and marshes than a pedal drive kayak. The P127 from Bonafide is my choice when I want to get out on a solo trip and access the areas that I can't get to on a flat skiff or a bay boat. It happens far too often in a boat where I have redfish and plenty of water in the back of a creek or bay, but there's a sandbar or series of sandbars between me and the fish and I just can't quite make it to casting distance. But with a kayak, I can drag across the sandbar right to them. Be sure to check out the full lineup of Bonafide Kayaks on the website or at Hook, Line, and Paddle here in Wilmington. I will have a link to the Bonafide website in the show notes as well. I was going to say, the other thing too is, is don't be afraid to work away from structure. Everybody wants to sit on right. structure, and that's something that I've really picked up on in the past, you know, few years um, fishing. Some of this stuff is, I I always go and want to sit on the structure, and then I get broke off and everything else. But really, a lot of times the flounder are sitting off. Just, yeah. it, you know, it may not be much; it might only be ten feet, but some places it's twenty, thirty feet. 
but there's some little nuance. So, you know, as you're sitting around, don't be afraid to fan cast or get some baits out a little further away from the boat because depending on the way the current is underwater and bringing the water across structure and different things, they're going to be stationed in a little different For places sure. every single day. For sure. So don't feel like you've got to be right on top of something. You can be a little bit off some days and be very successful. I would agree 100%. So yesterday on your trip, were there, was there any nuance or any type of pattern that you were able to kind of get those fish on? I know you said some of it was random, but what, what kind of stuff were you finding those fish on inshore? So back to your point earlier, fishing deeper. I had I had two guys. We were just throwing artificials. That if you want to flounder fish, everybody's got their own their own way. But for me, it's a quarter ounce or a three sixteenths ounce jig head with a diesel minnow. Um, four White inch. usually. Um, yes, but there is some nuances to that. I'll get into that in a second. Sweet. But um, yeah, you know and. I had one guy beating the banks up, going right to the grass line, working, you know, off because that's typically where they're at. And then I had one guy that was going out a little bit deeper and he was casting, you know, kind of 45 degrees off the front of the boat and bringing it back. And that's where one of our big fish come from. The other thing that I was doing is so I was working some main creeks doing that. And then the other thing that I was doing was working ditches and little tiny feeder creeks and stuff that are not normally... I don't feel like normally fished or pressured that much. So we had a high tide falling and, you know, a lot of the mullet right now that are left during those high tides, they're not really traveling the main creek edges. They're going up into the grass. They're getting way back into the little pockets, that kind of stuff. So those flounder are following them or sitting in those little ditch mounts as those, you know, um, mullet are moving through those areas as the tide changes and the tide's higher. So, um, one of the spots is, I mean, not much wider than my boat that I worked through yesterday, and we picked up two out of that. Nice. And, you know, it's just got a little bit of relief, some deeper holes, but, I mean, at most it's three and a half feet of dead high tide, so it's dry at low. Yeah. Um, you know, so those fish aren't even going to be able to sit there, but during that higher tide, they're, they're able to move up there and find those mullet sliding through. So that was kind of the... The success for us yesterday was just getting out and trying some different things um, that I've found in the past that, you know, it's kind of weird or different. Right. But Every one of ours yesterday came from a point that was facing into the current. Yep. And it, it could have been a small point or a big I – mean, none of the points were all that big, but um, so they were a lot of uh, – two of them were creek mouths. Two of them were up in, up in the creek a little bit. Um, but – that current's flowing into it, and it's having the some of the currents going left, some of the currents going right, and those fish are kind of sitting out on that point. Um, one fish came in a little creek mouth, actually, flounder-wise, um, but 90 99% of those fish were within – well, we were, we were fishing bait yesterday. I had some older – older uh, an older group, and we were fishing – just fishing bait. Um, and all but one of those fish came within, like, 10 seconds of the cast landing. So throwing that bait in there and like, you know, before you even kind of settle in, it's boom, that fish thumps it. So they're, they're just, if you're fishing those areas that they're wanting to be in, I mean, you can pretty much, if you're fishing the areas they're hanging out in, you're going to get bit pretty quick. Yeah. So moving a lot for flounder bait fishing, I think is, is pretty important. Yep. Um, if you're inshore now, red fishing, if you're bait fishing, waiting for them to come to you, but the flounder aren't traveling up and down the banks as heavily as, as red fish are. So, um, 
moving along. If I've got like if I've got really good anglers, a, a productive way this time of year too is is to put a, a live mullet on a heavier jig head and just work it. But yeah. Michael was talking about his his kind of bait choice, his artificial choice. If I'm flounder fishing with artificials, a lot of times I like the white paddlers by Z-Man. It's like five inches, but it's skinnier and it's jointed. Mm-hmm. So it's got like a little bit of uh, articulation to it almost, like a fly, like a like an articulated fly. Um, but it's got that scent to it, a little bit longer. I've done really, really good fishing that on a Texas eye. Yep. Um, it's, it's been a good bait for me for for a lot of uh, – a lot of flounder scenarios in shore, changing the weight up a little bit, but working it pretty quick. Pop, 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 pop. Let it sit. Pop, pop, pop. Little pops, like I'm not getting it off the bottom, but kind of darting it along pretty quick on the bottom and then letting it sit. But I mean, you can drag it slow. It doesn't. It doesn't really matter. But those fish, flounder. I feel like if you got to make them eat it, they, they want to eat it pretty quick. They're sitting there. Yeah. They're gonna take advantage of it. I feel like if they got more time to look at a at a artificial maybe they won't eat it but i don't think they're that picky but that yeah. quick seems to get the reaction bite a lot of times so yeah. if i'm fishing like a, a live mullet on a carolina rig or a live mullet on a jig head um it can be a little different but the and the carolina rig too I, a lot of people fish a long leader i like a really short leader when i'm carolina rig fishing for for flounder i like to fish like maybe eight inches tops or a foot tops but like eight yeah. to twelve inches um, just to keep that mullet close to the bottom. So, you know, people think that weight might spook the fish, and maybe it does, but, I mean, I, I typically feel like I get better better bites when that mullet, if you're keeping that mullet closer to where you're working, wanting to work it, you know, if that yeah. make it an easier meal for those fish. I think, you know, if a, if a weight drags across a flounder, but there there's a mullet right there, they're, they're going to eat the mullet. They're not that spooky. If it's really, really shallow, maybe so, but a lot of times I'm also not pitching those Carolina rigs up really shallow. That's when I'm going to fish an artificial, so. Yeah, you. Uh, I think you nailed the nailed it on the head when you're talking about the artificials, like the jointed baits. Um, you know, a lot of times I'll use a four inch diesel minnow on the Texas eye, and really the big thing is, is I just I like how I like fishing an exposed hook a lot of times, but with clients and stuff, you know, goes in the grass, different things like that. So having the Texas eye where it's a little bit more weedless is just For sure. you know as nice as you're not having to cut and retie or break stuff off. I all think the time. fishing that exposed. Uh, or exposed hook is definitely better for a flounder yeah. for sure so that that's a big one if you can if you can do that and get away with it in your area and you're not fishing a lot of oyster beds or whatever um exposed hook is huge but again like you nailed it with the the fact of like just keeping it moving um yesterday i had one guy that was really good about making bottom contact and working it slow and he did really, really well. And then the other guy, not quite as much keeping it on the bottom. Still caught some fish. But, you know, in those deeper holes and stuff, we definitely had more of a struggle. Um, I think maybe just stepping up the jig ahead size would have helped. Yeah. But, you know, we were kind of going back and forth so much that I didn't want to have to, like, cut and retie, cut and retie every single spot that we moved to. But, um, yeah, just slow rolling is like a big one that one's easy and then the little hop hop and you're not like you said you don't want to get your bait three four feet off the bottom those fish can't see it the water's too dirty for that so little two inch twitches yeah just enough to kind of skirt it along the bottom and either create kind of like a little bottrell like you're working a little 1.5 crankbait or something like that for bass um just something to kind of make bottom contact and get those fish to to hear it see it whatever and be able to turn their head and pull them over so um the other thing you were talking about white, I love white, um, especially if I'm fishing cleaner water. 
you know, up north, right? So the beach, topsail area, white's great, but, and having some scents, awesome. But also don't be afraid. Like yesterday, all of our fish came off of uh, Sexy Penny. Nice. So new penny with chartreuse. And it seems like chartreuse is a really good color this time of year. So don't be afraid to get out and try different colors. Like yesterday, we went through four different colors before we landed on that. And we had fish on the other ones, but that one got the most aggressive bite. The guy was like, boom, there he is. You know, like that fish wanted that color. Yeah, um, for So sure. whatever it was about that. It, it drove that fish to want, you know, drove it to want to eat it. So um, you can take and, you know, try some different colors throughout the day, matching lighter colors and lighter or, you know, cleaner water and then darker colors and darker water, just like any other thing. See, I feel like I a lot of times get lazy with the flounder and, and f- just fish the white. But another thing, too, that's really, really effective if you're just trying to cover new water or whatnot is a spinnerbait. A spinnerbait can work really, really well. Um, yep. Kind of rolling it across the bottom. Tough to fish when there's much current, but if you've got some some low current areas, uh, it can be pretty pretty darn deadly. Um, now, w- personally, I'll, I'll I'll give my answer first, but then I want you to answer. But when you say you're working an area for flounder, are you constantly on the move, or or the question is constantly moving, or or sitting and picking areas apart? Um, I, I actually get that question asked a lot for <laughs> excuse me for flounder fishing. And I personally kind of keep moving, but I move way slower. So I, I, I like to – flounder aren't going to move quite as quite, – very far to eat when they're in shallow water. You yep. know, they're, they're kind of got that one little spot they're looking, and when, a, when something comes across that little pie plate area, they're going to eat it. Yep. Um, so making sure you're hitting all those high productive areas or, or your high, high potential areas is important. If I get into a spot that's got like a lot of little creek mouths or points or whatnot, I'm going to stop. I'm going to pick that apart a little bit better and then keep moving. But going slow enough that I feel like I can at least get one cast on every productive spot, I yep. think is is important. So and, and it doesn't hurt to, you know, have two casts on, on a productive looking spot. But typically they're going to grab it on pretty pretty quick on that first cast through there. So I don't know. What about you? I would agree with that. I think I'm, mo- you know, I constantly keep moving and as long as I can able to get a cast on 90% of what looks good, you know, during the beginning of the season, great. By the time we get towards the end of it, I'm going to move a lot slower and really pick things apart because it, you know, the high productive places that everybody else has seen and can cast too easily, they're going to have casted to it as well. So I'm looking for... I'm, I'm more mentally breaking stuff down of, all right, I know there's an oyster bar there. It's submerged right now, but it's got mud bottom off of it. I want to make sure I get a couple casts down the edges of that. Or, you know, I'm mentally preparing or thinking through what's not visually seen to the naked eye as I'm driving right. through an area or fishing through an area. Um, so, you know, I kind of slow down as the season goes on and I'm picking apart spots a lot more. But at the same time, I still want to keep moving because – you may pick apart an entire area, and if you haven't gotten, if you spend 15 minutes in a spot and you haven't at least picked up one small flounder, chances are you're not going to be picking up a big one. You know, yeah. like, it's going to happen kind of like redfish. If you pull up and you put a bait on the bank and it's five minutes in and you've got a hit, great. But if you sit there for 30 minutes and you haven't gotten a hit, it's probably time to get up and move on, you know. Um, and I kind of feel like flounder fishing can be that same way. It, 
if you're not getting at least a bite out of a small fish, right? Chances are there's not going to be any bigger fish there. For sure. So. For sure. It's uh, and it's surprising too. I feel like a lot of people don't realize how freaking shallow those fish will sit, yeah. especially low light early in the morning. If you, the reason not many flounder get caught on top water, I think, is because people assume that where they're throwing the top water is too shallow for redfish. Like no one's out there targeting flounder with a yeah. top water plug, and they're not going to throw it over there because yeah, that's way too freaking shallow for redfish to sit on. Um, but if you go out early in the morning, low tide, and you throw those things across the edges of like you know, five inch sandbars and whatnot, you'll get blown up by top water, yeah. blown up by flounder on your top water very consistently. Um, it can be a really good bait to use. And a lot of times early in the morning you get out there, you'll see the flounder just back flipping out of the water in a lot of areas. Yeah. Uh, it's fun to, to try to target them on the top water plug. And it's really not a bad bait. The reason they're sitting that shallow is because when mullet and mud minnows and, and killifish come across those bars, they're they're sitting that shallow. I mean, that's where all the baits want to sit, and the flounder's designed Did better than anything. I feel like to sit that shallow and be able to eat and ambush. Um, that's kind of what it's made for, and people kind of it, it can see it can be like, all right, what would I fish there? Like, how would I fish that? But a topwater's a really good option. Yeah. A little small, little even like those little boyo or buyo mm-hmm. spooks, the like two inch long heading spooks. Yep. are great baits for that. Little tiny wake baits are good for it, but just kind of slowly moving them across those. Those shallow bars can be a – you'll be surprised what a flounder will come out of and eat a topwater plug in. <laughs> so, I was going to say, don't be afraid to downsize. Yeah, for sure. Like, downsize that topwater, and it can definitely happen. Yeah. I haven't had a ton, but I think last year we had one out of, like, six inches of water. Yeah. Just random – as soon as the plug hit the water, twitch and just got waylaid. That's awesome. But, like, a 17, 18-incher, so – Well, what's your – let's wrap up with kind of talking through our, our breakdown of our rod reel – kind of set up and leader and braid and whatnot. What, what's kind of your go-to for fishing artificials inshore for flounder? What's your go-to setup? So I got two options. Um, typically I'm fishing a star quarter ounce to five eighths ounce rod, uh, 15 pound braid on a 3000 reel. What length? Um, it's a six, nine or seven footer. So I want something that's got a little bit of give on the tip. Because, you, you know, you want it to be sensitive to where you can fill those bites. Because a lot of times, at least the little guys are kind of hard to tell when they when they hit it. The big guys, not so much. They, they smoke it. but they, they thump it hard. Yeah. But the little guys, you know, you're going you're gonna to miss some bites. Swing and a miss. But, um, yeah, so something that's got a little bit of length to it. You don't want it to be super, super long. But something that's got a little bit of length. And, you know, a lot of guys fish really light rods. Kind of almost like more like a trout, trout rod. But I like something that's got some backbone. Those fish have got some hard mouths. And if you've ever tried to pull a plug, or not a plug, but a soft plastic out of their mouth, you can tell just how much strength they have in their jaws when they clamp down. I mean, a lot of times they're not even hooked. You pull them all the way to the boat, and they've just held on to it. And they let go right there at the last second once they see the boat. And you're like, well, what the crap just happened? (laughs) And, you know, you didn't, you did not swing hard enough to pop that jig head through their mouth to get the hook to set. I feel like that's where a lot of people mess up in saltwater. You look at bass guys and they're really dialed into what they're fishing, what their rod action is based off the bait that they're fishing. And I understand not everyone can have a ton of different rods, but people are under the impression in saltwater a lot of times that like the lighter the little bait is, like the the softer your rod needs to be and really delicate Mm -hmm. and sensitive. But that really, you fish a really soft little delicate rod with flounder or redfish 
with a jig head, it's going to be very hard to bury the hook. You look at guys that are that are trying to win hundreds of thousand dollars a year in bass tournaments. They're fishing a stouter, stiffer rod on a single J hook because they want the ability to drive that hook and keep it pinned. Now, fit now baits that are a little tougher to keep in a fish's mouth. That's when you want a softer, more forgiving tip. So like a treble hook bait or, you know, something like that, or a really light wire hook that you're, you know, you're finesse fishing with, you've got more give in the rod tip. But if you're fishing, like if, if a bass angler, it was fishing, you know, for bass with, let's say, uh, I strike, you know, an I strike, uh, redfish eye and a diesel minnow, four inch diesel minnow for, for bass, he's going to be fishing a pretty stout setup because he's going to want to lay into that thing and not let any pressure off. Um, which is pretty important. The other thing too is, you know, well, no, that's pretty much it. I was going to say, I mean, the, you know, being able to drive that hook home is the biggest thing. Um, braid wise and don't, don't feel like you got to step down leader. These fish aren't leader shy. Right. I mean, I'm such a reactionary bite reaction bite that it doesn't, doesn't freaking matter. Yeah. 20 pound fluoro is what I'm throwing, you know, and we even throw some 30 pound fluoro during the summer when there's some bigger redfish around or they're hanging around oyster bars, that kind of thing. And they're still eating those mullet. They're not leader shy. They don't care. So, you know, be, be prepared to be able to drive the hook home and land that fish and not have to worry about breaking something. Another big thing too, is rod tip low when fighting the fish, keep that bend in it, Mm -hmm. but it, uh, flounder are a lot like trout. Like if you're pulling up, they're going to follow that resistance. They're going to come up to the surface and shake their head. Yep. And if you don't have a good hook set in them, a lot of times you're going to lose them right there. So I'll, I'll even stick my rod tip down in the water to keep the flounder down a little bit. If, especially if it's a good one, um, when I'm, if I'm inshore and obviously offshore in the, in the ocean is a different thing, but keeping that flounder under the surface of the water, even when you're, when you're netting him, don't lift his head up to the surface. Try to let your guy, net the fish underwater a little bit, especially if it's a good one. You bring that thing yeah. up, I mean, they're so good at shaking the hook out um, when they're at the boat yeah. before the net. I was just thinking yesterday we had that um, almost happen. Luckily, the dude drove the hook home, and it was it was down its mouth a little bit. But, yeah, um, exact, yeah. keep it, keeping your rods up low. I think, too, just constantly keeping pressure on those fish is the biggest thing. Because yeah. if you I had – I've had this happen multiple times. They'll swing and they feel like they miss, but it's just the fishes ate the bait and they fill the bite, but the fish has moved a little bit. So when they swing, they don't get a full connection, if that makes sense. And they kind of let pressure off and then they reel and they kind of feel it come back. But that fish is done. He felt something weird happen. They didn't get a full hook set and then they've let the pressure off and now that fish can spit the bait right back out. Yeah. So, you know, if you feel like it's a fish, swing, rod tip, keep it tight and just keep reeling. Cause a lot of times they'll just grab it and hold on. And then they're on for the ride. Even if you haven't got the hook set and you can get them up to the boat. So keeping them down. You'll low. see it too. When you're fishing really shallow, like polling and looking for redfish. When a flounder eats a lot of times, like if he gets a good meal, he kind of, he's sitting there really shallow. He eats and then he just kind of slides off that slope into some deeper water to kind of digest that, that meal. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's what happens a lot of times with the soft plastic. You get that bite and he kind of eats it and, in that motion is sliding off the bank closer to the boat and you kind of set the hook, but then the pressure goes away. Like Mike's talking about another really effective way before we wrap this up. I wanted to say this earlier and forgot to, to target these fish. If you can, like if you're fishing by yourself or with one other guy, um, if you can go at a higher, higher water and this would be more in like bays, you can definitely do it in creeks, but if there's current, it makes it difficult. 
or heavy current, but like big bays or big edges, if you can troll and motor your boat or pull your boat literally where the edge of the boat is touching the grass and get long cast down the grass, like a foot or two off and keep that bait coming right down the edge of the grass the whole time, you'll catch a lot of fish like that. Because when that water's high, those fish, you know, dolphins like to target them, you know, for food. So that, that and, uh, and sharks and other, other stuff, turtles, I've even heard will eat flounder sometime. Um, if you can sit up right on that edge of grass, the, a lot of fish are going to be, be sitting right there. When you're sitting out off the bank throwing to it, sometimes you just got a little, you know, maybe five foot section where you're going to get bit. But if you're keeping it along that grass edge the whole time, you've got a lot of space there to make it happen. So, what do you think? No, I 100% agree. I think that's, uh, you know, whether you're working topwater to redfish or throwing for flounder, that's a killer, you know, a killer way to do it. Keeping it in that bite zone a little yeah. longer. Yeah, so. for sure. Well, guys, hope y'all are getting out there and, and doing some, some flounder fishing during this flounder season. Try to do it during the week if you can. Saturdays and Sundays are a little bit insane. But uh, hope everyone's having a, uh, a good flounder season. If you're outside of North Carolina – you know, this is still good information for flounder fishing. You might not even still be listening because you realize it's about North Carolina's flounder season. But, you guys, thanks for listening. Uh, we love you all and thank you for the support. And we will see you all next week. Later. If you're anything like me, you like a clean boat. That's why I've chosen to partner with Carolina First Mate out of South Carolina. Carolina First Mate is a family-owned business that provides environmentally friendly boat cleaning alternatives. My two favorite products are their hole cleaner that doesn't harm your trailer and their boat wash. Be sure to use code EC15 for 15% off your online purchase. If you're interested in checking out all their products, you can find a link to their website in the podcast show notes.